You're listening to Leadership Foundation Podcasts, and I am Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Dave Hillis. And Dave, uh, we are just getting ready to talk to Reed Carpenter. Yeah, Rick, we uh, had, of course, a chance to uh, do a whisper cast here last month where we talked about Reed Carpenter and all that he has meant and that he is the founder of the uh, LF Network. And today we have the great privilege of talking to Reed Carpenter. So I'm looking forward to that in some very deep ways. You know, what's great about the podcasts that are sort of emerging now is that if you have the book, City is Playground, you'll be introduced to some of these histories and some of these individuals, but then to hear from them mm-hmm. is so helpful to fill in the, the context and, and, and really you know, get a feel for who they were. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. In, in writing about Reed, I had the uh, distinct sense that um, what I could never do was capture fully who he is. And so in many ways, the podcast, listening to Reed talk about Sam and Pittsburgh and all that went into it, um, really is is critical, and, and the book would be incomplete without the podcast. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's get him on the line and, let's uh, do it. and talk to him. Wonderful. Well, it is really uh, just a, a great pleasure, um, Reed, to welcome you to the uh, Sidious Playground uh, podcast. Um, you know, in many ways, uh, many of our other guests, I've needed to take some time to uh, describe a bit of what this is about and why we're doing it, but in always um you in some ways are the reason for the podcast and of course that goes back to the book itself so again on behalf of leadership foundations uh reed you having uh, been the founder of the lf network having started the first leadership foundation in pittsburgh and then of course leading the leadership foundation network for many years and then uh, very graciously handing it off to me where you have been a mentor a coach a guide uh, now for almost eight years uh, since I have taken your place, I just want to extend a, a warm welcome and a deep appreciation and thank you for all that you've done. And it's really uh, an honor uh, this, this morning to uh, just talk to you really about Leadership Foundations, its history, and how we kind of got our start. And that, of course, is the first chapter uh, in the book, uh, on Leadership Foundation, City as Playground or Battleground, uh, what Leadership Foundations um, have learned for 50 years about spiritual and social renewal. So, Reed, welcome, and thank you for uh, taking the time. Well, thank to talk you for this. having me, and thank you for your wonderful spirit of love and, and embrace. Well, you, uh, you are welcome as well. Well, I want to begin. I mean, as you know, in the, the book has six chapters, and in the very first book, uh, very first chapter of the book, it's where we really try to capture um, what took place um, between you and Sam Shoemaker and really the birth of the uh, Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. And so, by way of just starting, I would love just to hear, give us some context of how God even brought you to Pittsburgh, and, and what had you show up there in the first place, and, and maybe a little bit of a, a description of what Pittsburgh was like at that time. Well, you know, um, I began my uh, journey uh, in in ministry in the late 50s, and, uh, and I did so in the New York City uh, environment and in mm-hmm. Westchester County, Connecticut, uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut. And, uh, and that, 
brought me to New York City to work with uh, Dean Borgman and Harv Osteich and Bill Milliken in the early days of the urban uh, uh, expansion of young life. And uh, and that put us into, uh, into gang territory, and mm. the gang we worked with was uh, the Young Dragons. And so uh kind of got my baptism of fire and uh that then led us to harlem and at the at the end of that era two or three years of uh, i was in i was at fairfield university at the time in, in school also which is a uh, good jesuit school right it's a very very jesuit school mm-hmm. and uh so the um uh i was compelled to decide to go uh, into full-time uh, ministry and did so in the context of young life. And in 1960, 61 time frame, uh, I didn't want to leave New York, but uh, mm. because I'd submitted myself to young life, they sent me to Pittsburgh. So that's how I got to Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, and I came there just to continue what I was doing, doing uh, ministry to kids especially uh, you know, what we call then the inner city mm-hmm. uh, situation, although young, young Life was in many, many, many suburban high schools through the years. Uh, but that brought me absolutely into uh, early contact with Sam Shoemaker. Mm. Sam was the pastor, rector of Calvary Episcopal Church in Pittsburgh at the time. He had left... Calvary Church in New York in, and came to Pittsburgh in 1955, I think. Did you, and, uh, did, did you know yeah. of, of him when he was in New York? Oh, or, yeah, okay. because he was a pretty good friend of uh, Jim Rayburn. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, you know, Sam was one of the great articulators of the charism of young life. And, you know, as a church person, we didn't get much affirmation in those days from, you know, the official dumb of the church. But uh, Sam uh, clearly was uh, uh, a champion mm-hmm. of young life. And so, uh, uh, obviously, I didn't know him, but mm-hmm. Sam had that connection. Okay. Very good. And so when uh, when he, when Sam got to Pittsburgh, if I understand right, Calvary was sort of the boulevard church, right, of the city. It's where the kind of names... Yeah, uh, it was the most mm-hmm. powerful uh, Episcopal church and Anglican church in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. in terms of its its uh, uh, standing. It's the kind of people who went there, very, 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 very wealthy, affluent mm-hmm. uh, people. Hmm. Very good. And so what uh, or how did you then come to meet him? Well, I, one of the first people I met in Pittsburgh, again, and none of this was planned because I didn't know anybody in Pittsburgh. I, you know, mm-hmm. I got kind of dropped in front of the school that I was to work in, Wilkinsburg. <laughs> but um, the um, uh, uh, I, I'd gotten to know Sam, uh, one of Sam's disciples, his name was Don James, and John Don, Don uh, was a fairly recent convert. I mean, he was a he was a guy that had uh, served in the Korean War. Obviously, killed a lot of people, and was a mm. you know basket case of a human being. 
had a family of uh, lots of kids, but Don, uh, you know, we won't go into it here, but the fact is that he uh, was ready to commit suicide and staggered into Seams Church and mm. uh, let, let all the barrels out and Sam told him that he'd never met anybody so honest. And so, you know, would you have lunch with me? And the, the rest is history. He, he led Sam to the Lord and Sam then, uh, excuse me, Don to the Lord. And then Don went to seminary and became an Episcopal priest. Oh, wow. I met Don early on and Don was on a, on a, on a journey uh, to drop something off at Sam's house and took me along. Hmm. And uh, and so the minute I walked into the house and Don shared with him that I was the new young life leader, he, uh, Sam put his two hands on my face and said, you know, I've been praying for you for for many, many years. That's great. <laughs> and that so great. that's that's how we uh, connected. That is wonderful. So you've done this, obviously, many times for us uh, in Leadership Foundations, and we, of course, have you on video, but I would love for you to describe one more time for our uh, audience uh, the Mount Washington experience. Well, a couple of of things that might be important for the audience to, Mm -hmm. to grasp, even though I knew nothing about it at the time. But that in 1955, Time Magazine quoted Sam Shoemaker as saying that Pittsburgh had more power sitting in the pew of the Church of Pittsburgh on a Sunday morning that if mined and executed would create more power than all the coal in the hills and the steel in the mills, and that Pittsburgh should become a spiritual power plant for the rest of the world. Mm. So that that is a, a reality that preceded what I'm about to tell you. The mm-hmm. second thing was, in 1960, right about the time we met, Sam wrote a book called The Holy Spirit and the Fire, and, uh, which, which clarified a lot of what was going on in Sam at the time prophetically. And uh, that book still is the, I think, bears the earmarks of our Leadership Foundation journey. Uh, so at one point, uh, Sam invited Donna and I to go with him to Mount Washington. And, um, and it was just the three of us. And, uh, uh, and so obviously we stood out on a concrete pad that overlooks the three rivers. Mm-hmm. And the beauty, it was happened to be a beautiful day. And, and um, after some small talk, Sam uh, looked up and he said, you know, man, I have a vision that one day Pittsburgh is going to come and become as famous for God as it is for steel. And, of course, the steel mills were belching and, mm-hmm. you know, smoke was in the air, the fire, you could see the fire up and down the river. Mm-hmm. And he said, now, I want you to behold your city. And... uh uh, all I can say is that uh, uh, that it really wasn't Sam speaking. Hmm. It was it was so incredibly evident that God was announcing his intentions for Pittsburgh 
and using Sam as his instrument, hmm. uh, almost like a Moses. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 and Don and I fell to our knees, and uh, uh, it, it was so powerful. Hmm. And uh, uh, so, so from the standpoint of my reflection on that time, it's taken me years and years to say what I just said. Mm-hmm. I heard Sam's words, but now that I've had fifty years of 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 this Holy Spirit fire, I can now say with confidence that it was almost like that revelation pastor, you know. Yeah. And uh, I saw New Jerusalem, you know, come from heaven. It was like he was begging us to call heaven down to earth. And mm. we don't create the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God exists now in heaven. Mm-hmm. And our job is to bring it, bring it, get it down, yep. bring it down, which then required us to to get off our knees and begin to uh, uh, find out how we can commit ourselves to this this vision. Yeah, get to work. Um, you know, uh, this is language that you gave me uh, early on, which then got incorporated into the book. But the idea of the Leadership Foundation charism, you know, that gift from the Holy Spirit uh, that was given to us to, to uh, help with uh, the kingdom of God. And in the writing, and this is really the title of the book, is that we you know, articulated the charism of the Leadership Foundation is that we see the city as God's playground, the playground of the Holy Spirit, rather than a battleground. And while, you know, you and Sam probably, along with Don, <coughs> did not um, describe it as such then, it, it does strike me that the very first word that uh, uh, Sam said to you and Don was behold, in other words, see. And it it really was a matter of how you and Don saw Pittsburgh that I think began to, you know, catapult you all into action. And so I'd love for you maybe to say a bit more about that charism, that the ability to see uh, the way God sees. And why is that both in terms of your experience with Sam, but also for leadership foundations, such an important piece of what we do? Well, Dave, I think the trap that all of us face is getting lost or getting caught in the eddies mm. of institutions, bureaucracies, organizations, etc. I came to Pittsburgh what I, with what I thought was a profound vision, and that was to reach kids that were outside uh, outside the circle and bring them inside the circle of faith and of community. Uh, when I stood there and beheld my city, I saw with I saw instinctively and quickly, as a young man, I was only 21 years old, hmm. that my vision was so small and so pathetic in the context of beholding the whole city. I mean, I was looking at the third largest corporate city in America at the time. Mm-hmm. I was watching barges going up and down the river, belching steel mills. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, so 
immediately my perspective changed in terms of myself. Hmm. I saw myself as small. I saw myself as insignificant. I saw myself as, as in, in some ways paralyzed and helpless hmm. um, in the light of uh, a city that God had claimed. And what did that mean? So immediately, immediately, it caused me to reach out. I mean, one of the first things that happened, uh, other than Don and I committing ourselves to each other, was to uh, begin to discover who the body of Christ really was in Pittsburgh and Mm -hmm. how you mobilize the body of Christ along with people of goodwill to get at the things that, that God is crying about in terms of the city that we were beholding. You know, just to, uh, to build on that real quick, Reed, because, again, there's just so many um, dimensions to this, but going back to your point about one of the real obstacles and uh, maybe even places that we get ensnared <clears throat> is our institutional affiliation and that it uh, keeps us you know, from connecting with others. And so you just used a phrase about connecting with people of good faith <clears throat> and people of goodwill. And I'm imagining that at that time, to articulate something like that must have been pretty novel. I mean, this, right, the early 60s was still the time of high denominationalism, um, lots of a kind of modernity sort of approach uh, to, you know, life, which had everything to do with the system, you know, a company. And yet here you and Don uh, were articulating already something that I think even today people have a hard time getting their heads and hearts around about how do you actually work with people of good faith and goodwill rather than, you know, having them at war with one another, fighting over turf. Um, can you say more about just your, again, intuitive sense that that was the way to proceed rather than kind of hunkering down into a particular, you know, denomination or organization and, you know, kind of... Well, Dave, the fact is that early on, just because of our youth and because of our, 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 uh, in some ways, disenfranchisement from the institutional church, Mm I tended not to look at that reality uh, too closely because I I had already been kind of scared off by it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why it was refreshing that the two people that, uh, you know, lured me into this thing were both clergy. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, But the fact of the matter is as you behold your city standing on that mountaintop and looking at the University of Pittsburgh, looking at the sports stadiums, looking at the three rivers, barges, and looking at the smoke, and all of a sudden begin to perceive that the body of Christ is in all these places. Hmm. The body of Christ exists in Alcoa, Westinghouse, you know, on the tugboats. The body of Christ is placed everywhere. Mm-hmm that it isn't a matter of institutionalism. It's a matter of personalism. Mm. It's a matter of, of people having found their place in the kingdom of God in the place that they have been called. And that is what we needed to get 
get a vision that would lure people in the in the areas that they already were serving mm-hmm. to be influences for a common good. Yeah. And that's what drove many of our strategies. That's, that's, um, that's wonderfully articulated. So if you're if you're looking mm-hmm. at the city and you're weeping over what God is weeping about, the first thing the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation was weeping about was the fact that my children and everybody's children were under a severe onslaught of drug abuse, mm. and and uh, and so when I woke up one morning and said, "What are we doing as a city?" to deal with the overwhelming onslaught of substance abuse that is absolutely wrecking and ravaging our families and our community, Mm -hmm. I knew I had no answer to that. Hmm. But what I did know was there were people of faith and people of goodwill who were either in recovery or had already experienced it, that a leadership foundation is uniquely because of the way it sees and understands its own humility in terms of not having the answer, mm-hmm. we are the perfect instrument to set a table for conversation. Mm. And so from Westinghouse and from, I mean, every sector, hospitals, psych wards, et cetera, et cetera, we began to bring the, bi- bring the community together mm-hmm. to ask, what could we do together that we can't do if we stay in our silos? And that created one of the greatest explosions of, of uh, uh, you know, prevention, education, advocacy, mm-hmm. research on the on the issues of recovery. Hmm. That's that's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, given that you uh, you just did surface um, uh, the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation, we would love to get kind of behind the veil a little bit. So here you are, 1962, with Don. You have this experience with Sam on Mount Washington. Um, the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation was not officially formed until 1978. So maybe describe a bit of those intervening years <clears throat> and um, what actually went into the shape of that Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation that you finally formed in 1978. Don and I made a commitment to each other when we went away for two days to pray that uh, we would commit ourselves to each other for the rest of our lives, and we'd commit ourselves to Pittsburgh for the rest of our lives. And that commitment basically resulted in a vision. And the vision was simply this, that if we could continue to woo kids into the kingdom of God, into his personal relationship with his son, Jesus. And if we could follow those kids through high school, I mean, through, through college, and then bring them back into the life of our cities as doctors and lawyers and nurses and pastors and teachers, and etc., mm-hmm. that we in two generations could absolutely reform or transform our institutions in our city. So we began to gather people that we knew and that we Hmm. announced this vision to, and we then began to pray two days a month. And there were, uh, you know, it was a group of about 30, and uh, we happened to meet 
these two days at Dora Hillman's house, who was a very, very, very wealthy, uh, well-known name in Pittsburgh. And um, the Holy Spirit would fall on us on these two days. I mean, I just mm. can't even touch. And the fact is that out of those times, because we had leadership in that group to say, we're not here just to pray, we're here to strategize. Mm-hmm. We're here to kick ass. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> we're here to... We're, we're here to you can get, say things like that on this, on this podcast. <laughs> we're, we're, here, we're, here to, we're here to get something done. We're yeah. not here just to, 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 to fellowship. And so many, 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 many bold ideas came out of those prayer times. Now, it happened to fall on me and Young Life as a vehicle to basically get some of this stuff done, okay? Mm-hmm. So that's when Dora began to pour a lot, a lot, a lot of money into the into Young Life because, you know, we became the housing for new ideas. Hmm. You know, we created seminaries and we created, you know, rehabs and we created all kinds of stuff during that era. Now, so we knew... Just real quick, yeah, just, just because before Pittsburgh Leadership yeah, Foundation. Yeah, well, just because I know a little bit about Young Life, having worked for them for over a dozen years, um, during this time, was Young Life um, comfortable with all the different ministry expressions that you were um, producing? Well, I announced to Young Life, Dave, early on that I was never going to leave Pittsburgh, and that changes your relationship with mm-hmm. an organization. Mm-hmm. And so because we were very successful in doing what Young Life really was committed to do, hmm. you know, we had more clubs and more inner city work and more this, more that, they left us alone. Hmm. So, you know, when it came to all of a sudden receiving a million dollars from Dora to build a Ligonier Valley Study Center, you know, I mean, you know, they'd send somebody out to make sure we weren't crazy, you know, mm-hmm. but we did a lot of things that were not part of the mainstream of of Young Life. Yeah. And I would have to say that Bill Starr was in leadership at that time, and Bill loved me and believed in me and hmm. and took some punches for me hmm. and uh, said he, he sensed that this was all part of the kingdom. Of course, he also knew of Sam. So. Yeah. And by the way, Dave, Sam was the, uh, for the audience... Sam, along with uh, with Bill Bill Wilson, Bill W, they they were co-authors of the Twelve Steps of AA. So the other beautiful thing we had running in the current, the spiritual current of Pittsburgh, was recovery spirituality. Mm-hmm. And anybody in your audience that knows uh, about that understands that. It's one of the most powerful spiritual resources on earth. Yeah. I mean, uh, in fact, I, again, re- having had the privilege to talk with you, um, one of the things I've gathered, and I'd love to have you comment on this, is that really the spirituality that is required to do the kind of work that leadership foundations do uh, to be able to see your city as a playground really emanates from this space of, of recovery spirituality and that we have uh, more to learn from, say, the AA movement than, you know, another spirituality down the street that has a bit more of a grasping, imperialistic, triumphalistic uh, sort of feel to it. Is is that an accurate way to describe what you've in the past said about Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, so 1978 comes, and all of a sudden you uh, do, probably for a whole host of reasons that we don't have time to talk about now, but you start the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. And I do remember, Reed, that you um, have talked about the idea that you never uh, imagined it to be a, a global movement. Um, it was you and a group of people committed to your city. But uh, say a bit about how it began to leap outside of the, uh, the city confines of Pittsburgh and other cities began to show up and you began to talk and, and ultimately this, of course, um, began to shape the LF network as we know it today. But how, how did all of that happen from your perspective? I'll say a word about that in a minute, but mm-hmm. before I do, I just want to re-clarify the fact that we never set out to create the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. We were in a mm-hmm. prayer time, our, our two-day-a-month prayer time. We were all pretty exhausted, you know, for crying all night. We'd just gotten through the 60s, and now we're into the 70s. I mean, you're talking about the Holocaust. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we we were spent. I was especially spent. My marriage wasn't working, and oh my gosh. Mm. So I was on my last legs, and things were not going well for me in young life. It finally caught up with me that, because uh, I was in charge of probably the largest inner city ministry in the country, and it required unbelievable amounts of dollars, and we had mm. all kinds of ex Black Panthers on our staff, and oh. You, 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 you had to make sure they got paid, or else you know you'd be you'd be, you'd be going home to glory. Um, but, but the fact is that I was exhausted, and in this prayer time, um, uh, all of a sudden, a guy by the name of Jim Lucky interrupted the prayer, and he said, "I just heard from the Lord," and he then said, "Because I needed to leave young wife, and I needed to lead." lead this movement, whatever the heck it was, that no longer could we operate with a bunch of organizational leaders or pastors and so mm-hmm. forth. We needed somebody set apart. And so I was chosen by the group, and I think that's really important mm. yeah. to note. Yeah. And uh, uh, and when we began to huddle around that uh, and came up, you know, that, that's another subject, but... It was not easy to, to even articulate the name Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. Uh, uh, we did that deliberately, very thoughtfully, very prayerfully. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so uh, uh, in 1978, that, that was great. We brought, we brought Lily Endowment in the Pittsburgh to consult with us as we uh, as we uh, moved forward. And it was an interesting, hmm. very interesting meeting with this founding board and, and so forth. And uh, um, the person who we brought in, I can't remember his name right now, but at any rate, he was in charge of the religion department. Hmm. And uh, he looked at the group and he said, you know, what, what do you have in mind? We get into history and everything. He said, Whatever you do, do not outrun the giftedness of your leader. Hmm. If you're going to put Reed in this spot, make sure you exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit that, re, that 
God gave her. Don't don't be taking on stuff that that caused you to outrun your coverage. Hmm. And uh, and that meant that we really really had to stay in the early days with youth related uh, youth related issues. And of course, that's what took us right into the substance abuse issue mm-hmm. early on. Uh, now, obviously, uh, uh, <laughs> we had a lot of exciting things going on, and so my peers and young wife, people who had had been in their cities, you know, Bud Eiffelman, Chicago, Larry mm-hmm. Lloyd, and Memphis, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You. I mean, you'd come to Pittsburgh to find out, you know, what was going on. That's very true. um, I remember, yeah. And so, you know, you just kind of walked with us in the trenches and smelled it and went to Mount Washington. And and then people would go back to their cities and begin to pull some people together to begin to pray and think about what the vision of their city should look like. Mm -hmm. And then we formed a fellowship of people who were in that posture, and we'd normally meet in Chicago just uh, as a group of equals. Uh, I was kind of first among equals just in terms of being a, uh, a convener. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that's, that, that fellowship that met at a, uh, at a fellowship level in and around our gathered terrorism that we were beginning to put into words uh, was the beginning of Leadership Foundation's nationally internationally yeah that's that's absolutely wonderful and i <clears throat> am absolutely one of those people Reed. i i remember distinctly uh at the end of 1994 coming to pittsburgh um and people like h spees and larry and howard eddings and others uh were there and uh just to have the opportunity to think about your city the way you all had thought about Pittsburgh um, was, uh, you know, almost a bit, I think, the the road to Emmaus story where, you know, did not our hearts burn within us. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. I, and I remember going back to the Seattle-Tacoma area um, and just thinking I've got a, a new way to think um, about my city, which uh, probably even more accurately i had a new way to see my city um and it was uh it was life-changing so um one of the things that i wanted to ask you now when you look back over your shoulder if you had to distill down what were four or five of the the things that you all decided to do in pittsburgh that you would say were absolutely critical um, to the kind of success, the kind of effectiveness, the kind of faithfulness that you ended up having? What, what would those be? I mean, one of them, of course, I heard was that it, your time was saturated in prayer. Um, what, what might be some other things that you would make mention of that were key? Well, I, w- I would say it, not only prayer, but bringing people who aren't historically together theologically or uh, denominationally mm. or racially, mm. you know, um, uh, or gender, uh, you know, they had to be in the circle of prayer in order for prayer to be able to saturate mm. our commonality mm-hmm. and drive us together towards objectives. 
you know, you, most prayer groups are made up of people who think alike, act alike, believe alike, and therefore, so you know, true. prayer yeah. is prayer, but it, it doesn't generate the same kind of, of uh, texture to uh, a movement that is, is, is fundamentally whole church, bringing the whole gospel to the whole city. Mm-hmm. So I think that was one of the, you know, and Baki was a, a, a huge, 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 huge uh, uh, teacher yeah. in terms of, of these things. And, uh, and, and what really took place, Dave, is I think that when Baki would speak or come to our city or we'd go to him and that sort of thing, um, uh, what was fantastic for me is that you know, I I didn't get up and do what Ray suggested. It was a affirmation that what the Holy Spirit was already doing hmm. was in in you know a vital part of holy history. Yep. So that was a very very affirming uh, uh, part of of our journey. So that would be one thing. I think the second thing is the fact that we were unapologetic about money. I mean, the fact is, I, I developed a very, very, uh, I mean, I, it's a personal gift that I have um, of speaking to power mm-hmm. and giving power um, the privilege of letting go of their power mm-hmm. on behalf of the powerless. Mm-hmm. And to speak truth into power is, I think, another major aspect of what a leadership foundation uh, really does and has the opportunity to do. Hmm. Uh, The the gift of love, the gift of compassion, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I dealt with more corporate executives whose kids were dying from drugs. You know, there's no better way into the heart of people in power than to love their children. And um, it's kind of that Jairus' daughter kind of image where. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and so um, uh, and that brought, you know, if I wrote a book, it would be about the four widows. And so I began to have unbelievable uh, relationships with wealthy widows and uh um and Dora and, and Nike are in the book and mm-hmm. they are they are matriarchs of this movement. Absolutely. Really. Yeah. Absolutely. And um so that's the second thing. Not being not believing that you can have the kingdom of God and this is so, so part of the Pope's message to the world right now. You know, uh uh, greedy uh, capitalism is is a is a cruel force mm-hmm. if it doesn't have uh, uh, compassion and doesn't at the end of the day seek to empower those who are powerless. Mm-hmm. And so I think a leadership foundation provides a wonderful instrument for this combination. Um, uh, so that's the second thing, not being afraid of power. Mm-hmm. The third thing is to understand the dynamics of a city, namely, how does the sports industry and how does the uh, the uh, you know the healthcare 
industry and how to business industry and how how does this all work and how what do you need to do to get the 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 instruments of power to basically converge together to to seek to do something together uh i was just on the phone with the head of the pittsburgh diocese and um uh the head of development there, and I read him uh, something that you have, but uh, Fred Federoff's uh, 1990 speech about calling the church to lead the third renaissance of the human spirit, and you know those kinds of th- those kinds of remarks were galvanizing in terms of setting loose. You know, corporate America and, mm-hmm. and people from all walks of life into the game. Mm. So that's a that's another thing. And I I <clears throat> I think what the danger in leadership foundations or in any movement is the fact that we begin to rely on programs. Yes. To get our funding, we become we become program driven mm-hmm. because that's where we get money. Mm-hmm rather than vision-driven, that that really touches the hearts of people in power and people, other people as well, to basically cash it in for the sake of, uh, of the kingdom. Yep. So those are dangers that I think we have to, to continue to look at. Yeah. Um, Good. Rick's got a question here, Reed. Hey, Reed, this is Rick Enlow. Hi, Rick. And uh, it's awesome to be able to hear your voice because I've read, you know, so much about you and heard stories, you know, and I've like I've uh, crossed paths. With... I'm, I'm sure you heard some very <laughs> shaky stories. Yeah. Too. So, but I came from Hillis. What's funny is that, uh, you know, I I kind of put a few things on you in my own mind that I wanted to just just one thing I wanted to clarify because I I was reading the other day I was rereading Surprised by Joy uh, C S Lewis and he was saying. Uh, he made a statement, and I thought, you know, that to me, that sounds like Reed Carpenter, but I didn't, you know, I've never even met you, so, like, I'm just going to run that by and see if, you know, if I was close. But he, it was funny because he, he said uh, he was, when he went into his uh, theist mode, you know, from being, you know, kind of a, a wanderer spiritually, he said he found himself, um, he was not anti-clerical, he said. He liked pastors the same way he liked bears, but he... Uh, didn't wish to live in a church anymore than he wished to live in a zoo. And, but he said, he, he said, so he, he was not anti-clerical, which is what I heard about you. You know, you had, your friends were, you know, Sam and, you know, and these guys that were pastors, but, um, but he said he was anti-ecclesiastical. So he liked the leaders, but the structure he felt was um, not like he was anti, but he, he felt it was not built to um, sort of face what was happening. And so is that accurate for me to say that I, that sounded to me like you? Yeah, I, I you know, I mean, I, I would humbly say yes, in the sense that uh, um, I, when I when I first decided to follow Jesus, uh, the, the only question I had before I made the commitment, I was, I was in high school, is, look, it, if Jesus doesn't work for everybody, and I'm not interested. Hmm. I am simply not interested. And then, you know, and then the Lord sent me to Harlem for crying all night. And, <laughs> you know, but the fact of the matter is that all these structures and all these, they're, 
they are not getting to the pain of the the overwhelming sorrow and and so forth of, of that exists in our cities mm-hmm. you know so i didn't have answers to that but i didn't i i always worked hard at not getting trapped you know i i, I joined a few churches along the way but my job, you know, Sam Schumacher wrote a poem. I'm sure you've heard of it or read it. Beautiful, his apology for his life, and it was just so. So I stand near the door, the door through which staggered men and women in the heat of night and the black of night and in, in cold and rain are searching for a latch, a latch that can only open to their touch. But unless I stand near the door and lead that hand to that latch, well, that's the apology that I would have for my life. Mm. I think that I want to stay as close. You know, right now I have a ministry to an immigrant community in Immokalee. I mean, this this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be on a daily basis, not not in theory. And so once I physically am with the least, the last, and the lost, then I have a voice, and I have a lure. I have a compelling uh, calling that I can say to my brothers and sisters, whether they be pastors or whether they be, you know, bears, or whether they be, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, can, I can call them to the dance. Yeah. And the dance is one of joy. When you're with the poor, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, I happen to believe that the poor are a sacrament. That I think the church teaches that. Mm-hmm. That when you touch the poor, you're touching Jesus. Yeah. And if you're, it's not about helping them. Hopefully, hopefully you do. But it's about being there and experiencing Jesus. So, uh, I I just think that that in terms of joy, in terms of of our capacity to dance with others. There's no better place to dance than in jails and hospitals and nursing homes and places where people are are in in, in so vulnerable. Yeah. So that's that would be that, that would uh, it, all it does is shed light on your statement. It doesn't, you know. Well, no, it just it, it also goes to show that Hillis isn't screwing it up that much. You know, he, you know, <laughs> so I did get the idea. <laughs> so thanks, Reed. Yeah, Reed, we've got just a a little bit more time here, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and I want to just follow up because I was um, again having had the privilege to be with you all these years and thinking about the question I asked about what were some of those fundamental kind of building blocks. Um, one of them, which you just beautifully talked about, of course, was how you tether yourself uh, to the poor. Um, and I think, as I've had a chance to watch leadership foundations that have been effective, um, it's certainly speaking um, truth to power, as you described, but doing so, you know, from this proximity of being uh, embedded with, with the poor. Um, a couple other things, too, that I've listened to through the years. Um, one of the, the interesting things about you 
is that you have a strong Christology, this focus on Jesus, but somehow in you, um, you use it as a way of including rather than excluding. And so I'd love for you just to maybe make a comment about that because so often um, when the name Jesus comes up or someone talks about Christ, um, it really becomes a wedge issue. And uh, it's used in ways to separate rather than to include. And yet, I think in the hands of you, Reed, and in leadership foundations, uh, we, of course, think about it in just the opposite way. So maybe say a bit about the inclusionary nature of, of Jesus and a Christology. Well, you know, one of the great, great, great gifts the Holy Spirit has given me is an unbelievable love for and understanding of Jesus and uh, his incredible, incredible humanity. Mm. And not only that, but his uh, his incarnational, uh, 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 his, his capacity to get to where people are. Mm. I mean, that's what you love about reading the Gospels. That's what you love about... And I've given a lot, a lot of talks over the last few years about standing in the footsteps of one of the disciples who's been called. Mm-hmm. Just simply asking the question, as Jesus said, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Mm-hmm. Get off your butt and come and see. Follow me. Now, what did they see when they followed him? I mean, they were, they, I mean, are you kidding me? It was the most exciting journey. And and the fact is, was he inclusive? I mean, mm-hmm. so that's what I love about Jesus. I mean, when you get there to where Jesus is, is and is going, you've got no other, <laughs> there's no other reason to be there but to love who you're with. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep, absolutely. I mean, what, what else is there? What? Why would you follow Jesus if all he did was divide and conquer? You know, yep, exactly. And so, I mean, I just think that love, you know, love has got to be not only the motive, it's got to be the means, and it's got to be the end mm. of all things in mm-hmm. the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Don't use Jesus' name if you're going to divide and if you're going to, you're going to, you know, uh, cast out on basis of ideology or, you know, traditions and so forth. I mean, uh, I want to be like Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One other comment about these these building blocks, and then I've got one last kind of larger question I'd love to have you comment on. But I think the other building block, and this maybe comes more through that strain of holy history uh, in Jim Rayburn, but is that leadership foundations, I think, have always had um, primarily demonstrated by you a deep commitment to being able to laugh at themselves, uh, to carry with them a sense of humor. And, you know, that isn't just a, a throwaway line, right, at the end of the day. That's that's actually a orientation, um, having humor uh, about oneself, about you know, in some ways, some of the problems that we face, even though they can be overwhelming. Um, maybe say just a bit about the importance of humor in the kind of work 
that that leadership foundations have has been called to. Well, I think uh, Rick said it said it well. C.S. Lewis is uh, surprised by joy. I mean, I I I you know I, we all get joy in many different ways, but. Um, a joyful person is a person who does not take themselves too seriously, nor mm-hmm. do they believe that they're the reason for anything. <laughs> that they are all that they are in a constant spirit of surprise. And uh, it just so happens, Dave, that our history in young life is just absolutely laden with some of the absolute funniest, humorous people and situations that, you know, I mean, whether it's my time at Woody Bible, I mean, we, it, we all we do is laugh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, because, uh, you know, we, we got stories to tell. Right. right. And, and basically, you know, the, the joy and the laughter, you know, uh, I think my, I think my highest my high, my best grace is the fact that I've got so many great friends. Hmm. Oh my gosh, do I have friends? Mm-hmm. And when friends are together, I mean, it's time to tell stories. <laughs> it's time to it's time to celebrate. It's time to cry. It's time to weep. It's time to mm-hmm. to s- celebrate. And I just think we we do that very well. I think that I think that we don't take ourselves too seriously. We 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 tend to be a little on the on the uh, 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 we're 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 a little vulgar at times, you know. <laughs> I mean, we don't we, we we we're not always holy. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. we know how to laugh, mm-hmm. and we know how to. Uh, cheer one another up and make sure that no one thinks they're better than the other. Yeah. And humor is such a, an important ingredient in that. Yeah. And I happen to be funny. <laughs> well, that settles that. <laughs> that settles that. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we're up against our time, but one last question, and, and this, of course, I think is probably worthy of a, another podcast at some point, but one of the things that you've described um, really relentlessly uh, for all the years I've known you and, of course, um, all the years that preceded that is that leadership foundations, at least in part, exist to help answer the uh, high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, that we all might be one. And, uh, you know, every city around the world, of course, is made up of, of these women and men that you've described, Read that are a part of the, you know, Pentecostal church, the Lutheran church, the Catholic church, the, you know, Orthodox, I mean, the list goes on. Um, but how often um, that very group um, which is supposed to be one so that it can demonstrate uh, the love of, of God so that others might know God um, are at war with one another. And so one of the particular things the Leadership Foundation does, of course, is it, it sort of gets into that space and creates the kind of table you described earlier 
of, of people who not only don't know each other, but in many ways have maybe been at war with one another. And I'm thinking this about this now in some probably even deeper ways, Reed, because um, of our current pope, Francis, and what it, it seems to me in the midst of his many, many gifts, um, he has an extraordinary ability um, to actually live into what, you know, pope means, which is bridge builder. Um, so say a bit about, you know, LF's work with regard to helping heal the, the broken and battered body of Christ, and maybe in some ways, uh, because of your own commitment um, to the Catholic Church, how Pope Francis is helping you um, maybe understand that vision you've had for many, many years, even in fuller and deeper and richer ways. Well, that does demand, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because what you've just articulated at age 76 and the fact that God has given me good health and given me a platform and given me grace, and this is the burden of my heart. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, uh, you know, John Paul uh, and the great, and I, I think I think that this business about the work of the Holy Spirit in the third millennium is really, really about the unfinished work of Christ. Mm. The unfinished work of Jesus Christ is the answer to that prayer. And the fact is that that if I were m making a speech to the present cast of the Leadership Foundation uh, presidents and team, you know, th this would this would be the theme. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I I I sometimes question whether we're so busy doing programs and that sort of thing that our own relationships with the various people in the body of Christ in a given place, we spend very little time in nurturing those relationships. I think mm -hmm. a lot of us are formed in a context where we're afraid of people that we don't know or don't, or, or we're afraid of people who don't believe like we do. Yeah, that's correct. And, and mm -hmm. fundamentally stay away. We don't love them into life. We don't go and cheerlead even those we disagree with. Um, so I that that be a major admonition that I would give to the present uh, folk in our movement because uh, I don't see too much of it going on right. uh, of any substance. Um, so I I think you're absolutely right that this is and and the beautiful thing is the best possible place, and that was the Pope's message today, hmm. it, the best possible place to do that is in cities. Mm -hmm. This is where people are going. This is where you've got language groups. This is where every nation in the world now exists, in cities. And what better place to, to bring the tribes together under the power and the beauty and the love and the, and the reconciliation, reconciling grace of Christ in, in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even people who aren't of our faith can agree that homeless people should not be homeless. They can agree that 14-year-old girls shouldn't be having kids. There's so many things we can all agree on. Yeah. You know? That's but right. I just think we stumble over ourselves, and we're afraid to be a reconciling agent to really bring that kind of wholeness and that, that unity of heart and mind 
so that Jesus uh, really can be seen and, and experienced. Yep. So, no, it is a major passion in my heart. Mm-hmm. I think about it every day. Uh, um, and hopefully work on it every day. Yep, and we will uh, we will make note and have a conversation. Uh, I think specifically about this topic. Um, read sooner than later because it uh, it, uh, it it's needed, and I think your work around it has been extraordinary. And to see. Um, someone like Pope Francis, um, I think, demonstrate this in ways that that uh, I, find, I find myself um, short of breath with regard to um, some of the risks that he is willing to uh, to take on behalf of trying to knit back together um, that which should never have been torn apart in the first place. So, Reed, on behalf of all of us, thank you, uh, and we uh, we look forward to many days ahead. Blessings. Blessings on you both. May the Holy Spirit give you unction today. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Wow, for me, Dave, that was like brush with greatness. <laughs> I mean, was that was really pretty awesome. And and uh, hmm. uh, I got way out there on the limb and you know tossed out a comment. No, thinking, oh, you know, but he's such a great guy to talk to. But I, I do think that um, our little community which is just a little suburb of Tacoma, uh, you know, has been impacted by Reed's, uh, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit and, and then your subsequent leadership and, and the book because it has caused us to, uh, to say, hey, um, this is our city, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and we've, you know, had a chance to, to really gain from, uh, from everything that, that he is living out so uh, what what a gift, and, and I'm so grateful for him. Yeah, we, uh, I'd say just a couple things, uh, Rick, in closing. One is that you and I have talked about this on these podcasts before, and this is actually one of the motives for writing the book in the first place, is that we all stand on others' shoulders. Um, nobody um, is independent, and so the Leadership Foundations uh, in particular stand on the shoulders of, of Reed Carpenter and I think your description of Gig Harbor and where you work, knowing that that is a part of what has taken place as a result of this man saying yes uh, to uh, Sam and God now, back in 1962 is just a, another demonstration of that. The other thing I think is just so interesting is that gifts that are given, you know, by God to any of us, um, one of the ways that they authenticate themselves is whether or not um, others benefit from them. Um, You know, said another way, it's probably not a gift um, if, you know, another uh, doesn't benefit, no matter how powerful or uh, smart or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think your notion that, that Gig Harbor was, was actually, you know, impacted, even though Reed doesn't know it, uh, is just, again, another way that uh, the gifts um, authenticate themselves. Yeah, so. and it was, it was pretty cool to, you know, because you can kind of revise history, you know, once it, it becomes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, impressive. And I know that for, for yeah. him to say, look, when I made that kind of famous statement about uh, Pittsburgh being famous for God as it is for steel, he was actually paraphrasing, you know, a previous quote from uh, 
Time magazine that mm-hmm. Sam Shoemaker had made. So just for him to admit that, I mean, to me, you know, I mean, I live in, you know, the world of uh, pleasurism where people think, you know, hey, that sounds pretty cool. I'll pretend like I said it. Right. But I really enjoy that. And also, so I'm going to, uh, you know, take from this podcast and, and you know, give credit uh, with the people I ran into. But I, when I heard him say, if Jesus doesn't work for everyone, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. He put into a short sentence uh, what I think uh, I've felt and uh, and you know so I credit uh, Reed for for uh, helping me put that into words. That's great. That's great, Rick. And yeah, I mean one of the one of the quotes in the book. In fact, actually every chapter has a has a quote. And one of the uh, chapters, I think it's chapter four, um, quotes Cervantes, uh, and I think this captures Reed so perfectly. He says, you know, he he or she who lives well preaches well, mm-hmm. and that's all the divinity I can understand. And, and that's Reed. I mean, he's a beautiful communicator, but much, much more fundamentally, um, he's lived well. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, this is real, and uh, we had a chance to hear its realness and all yeah. of its warts and scars and, you know, heartbreaking, you know, uh, disasters and overwhelming joys. And, and that's, that's, I think, in the end what, uh, what this gospel thing is about. Well, I look forward to uh, uh, getting a chance to uh, add a sequel to this in the future where uh, we can maybe explore more about this uh, passion of unity in mm-hmm. the church. And so that's great. And if you want more information or you'd like to uh, send us some input, maybe even say, hey, why don't you guys ask these kind of questions? You can always contact us at leadershipfoundations.org and you can uh, listen to past podcasts or stay in touch and uh, subscribe to our Whispercast so that you know what's coming up. Wonderful. Thanks, Dave. Thank you.